There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. It's Tuesday, June 28th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, brought to you by the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. Get an estimate and learn more at steamfitters-602.org. Today, we spend the entire episode with Fairfax County's top prosecutor, Commonwealth's attorney Steve Descano, and it's a little bit of a longer conversation. He tells us his take on the likelihood Virginia's abortion laws change and how he plans to navigate that in the courtroom. I know a lot of people are scared. That's why I wanted to make the pledge early, trying to get other Commonwealth attorneys, other people to make the same pledge. But I think we're we're in a situation that a year from today, there's going to be an abortion ban in Virginia. And in the second portion of our podcast, Descano tells us how the county's handling a backlog of cases, the increasing number of carjackings, and how the defamation case between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard really jolted his daily life at the courthouse. I knew that I was going to deal with a lot of wild stuff as Commonwealth's attorney. <laughs> I never expected that I was going to look outside my window and I was going to see a boat. I was going to see people dressed up like uh, like pirates and alpacas <laughs> coming to the courthouse. Because that, that happened every single day. Thanks for joining us. I'm Megan Cloherty. And I'm Luke Garrett. In the new political landscape that we're living in, all eyes are on the justice system after the Supreme Court's recent decision to allow states to decide whether to let women get abortions. Changing laws and political pressure make for an especially challenging situation for local prosecutors. Steve Descano is the Commonwealth's attorney for Fairfax County, and he's got a lot more on his plate than just the latest decision from the high court. Um, He joins us now in person. Thank you for coming in. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Um, let's just start with your reaction to the justices ruling on Roe v. Wade. Um, last week, you wrote an op-ed saying you would never prosecute a woman for having an abortion or being suspected of seeking one. Um, given that you work and live in Virginia, what is your take on the ruling? Oh, my goodness. How many thoughts do I have on this ruling? Yeah. Uh, quite a few. You know, first of all, at its fundamental level, um, it is, quite frankly, I think it's a shame. It's the first time we've seen the Supreme Court uh, take away a right that had been enshrined before. Um, And I just feel terrible for everybody in this country who this is going to affect. And I think about my 10-year-old daughter and the world that she's going to grow up in now and just how it really has taken a whole group of our community and made them second-class citizens. Mm. Um, But from a more uh, practical perspective, um, you mentioned my my declaration to never uh, prosecute a woman for making her own health care decision. That's something that I stand by. You know, when we think about what enforcement – of an abortion ban is going to look like. It's ugly stuff. It really is. I mean, we are talking about an Orwellian dragnet. We're going to have officers with search warrants getting into women's text messages, their emails. Mm. Anytime somebody has a miscarriage, they're going to be going through their trash looking for alcohol or drugs. They're going to be pulling in their intimates to, to interrogate them. I think that's horrible and traumatic. So I want to incentivize our law enforcement agencies to never do that. Yeah. That's why I said I'm never going to prosecute these cases because I don't want women to go through that trauma. And unfortunately, in Virginia, we have a governor, we have an attorney general who I think are zealots on this issue. They've already talked about openly how they're going to try to push for an abortion ban. And I think they're going to push as hard as they can push 
Um, and it's really up to elected officials at every level um, who care about this issue to throw their hands out, do whatever they can, and try to stop it. That's what I'm doing. Right. And just today, Virginia State Senator Stephen Newman told WTOP that there's a good chance, he thinks there's a really good chance that uh, a ban on abortions after 15 weeks will get through the legislature. I think that a 15-week bill is something that uh, will not be easy to get through the legislature, but something that uh, I think we have a good chance of getting done. How likely do you think that is in Virginia? You know, I think it's very likely, unfortunately. We take a look at what the political climate is right now. In Virginia, uh, Republicans have the executive, they have the House of Delegates, and Democrats have the state Senate by one vote. But we know we have at least one uh, Democratic state senator that considers himself Mm. pro-life, meaning that it's very likely that he could vote in the next General Assembly session for some ban on abortion. So I know a lot of people are scared. Um, I've heard from people in Fairfax County. uh, Quite frankly, I've heard from people all across Virginia who are scared of this. Mm. That's why I wanted to make the pledge early, trying to get other Commonwealth attorneys, other people to make the same pledge, because I do think this is going to happen. And it didn't happen today, but I think we're in a situation that a year from today, there's going to be an abortion ban in Virginia. And in your New York Times op-ed, you said that prosecutors are the last line. What does that really mean for some of us who maybe aren't so familiar with the legal system? What does that last line look like? Well, the last line of defense um, really is about prosecutors using their discretion. If you think about it, a prosecutor's job is to use discretion and to, to do justice and keep the community safe. So that last line of defense really means as prosecutors saying, hey, we are not going to go forward with these cases from a uh, criminal justice system standpoint. We are not going to get involved with a woman's private decisions. Um, I will tell you, it is a last line of defense to keep people from being criminalized. Um, it's not a panacea. It's not a cure-all. It's really harm reduction. But everybody needs to step up on this issue and you know, be the first, be the last, be any line of defense right. on this because it's so important. And forgive me for my naive question, but is your job on the line here for, for this? I mean, are prosecutors who decide not to prosecute, are you going to find any repercussions for that? Well, of course, uh, I'll get repercussions for that. That is the, uh, the nature of the business. Um, but look, at the end of the day, this is about public service and doing the right thing. And I know that I hear from people every day who are sick and tired of elected officials of both parties talking a good game but not stepping up and actually doing it. Um, so we would need to, to expect our elected officials to take these kinds of risks. And at the end of the day, if I have repercussions, um, if I lose my job because of this, um, get voted out, that's fine. Because I know that I'm doing what's right for my community in accord with my community values. Moving now to another example of the feds kind of weighing in on a local case and how this has all played out, the Bijan Gaysar um, killing. Uh, when you took office two years ago, it was one of the biggest cases at the time, um, the federal case against the U.S. Park Police officers, uh, Maya and Vineyard, who a grand jury indicted in the killing of Bijan Gaysar. Um, can you remind us of that case and for some reason if people don't really know the details? Because it was a little while ago now. And where we're taking it, because I know there was a reaction after the judge decided not to hold them uh, responsible. Essentially, that he was saying that, you know, they were acting within their duty. Yes. Yeah, I okay. am. Uh, I'm happy to, to talk about this case um, because it really, you know, it's a case that I care a lot about. Um, I, I've grown pretty close to uh, Bijan's family, Kelly and James, their parents and his parents in particular. Um, and this is something that's really affected our community. Um, and it really is, in my view, quite a shame. So the little bit of background on it is, I believe, in 2017, 
um, Bijan Gazar. He was a, a motorist on the GW Parkway um, in Fairfax County. Um, after a traffic stop, two park police officers shot him, uh, I believe 10 times, uh, shot him and killed him. Uh, the Department of Justice, because they were federal agents, they took the lead doing an investigation. The FBI investigated. They investigated for about two years looking for federal charges. Mm-hmm. Trump's DOJ declined federal charges. Once he once they declined federal charges, I because it happened in Fairfax County, I took the case, did my own investigation, and paneled a special grand jury, and we were able to, to get indictments on both of these park police officers um, on manslaughter charges. Mm-hmm. Because they were federal agents, they were able to remove the case to federal court where they argued um, that they had immunity um, from state prosecution. The federal judge initially agreed with them, which I shake my head at. Well, it was such an obscure thing to pull to start with. I mean, we all had to look it up. Like, what, what is this thing? It was, you know, I got to be honest. It is uh, an issue that doesn't have a lot of jurisprudence around it. Um, it, 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 is, it was ripe for uh, moving forward in this path. Mm-hmm. Um, but the judge at the district level said, hey, quite frankly, um, I was very disappointed in this ruling for a number for a number of reasons. Um, and I didn't think the facts supported that they should have immunity. Our, our theory of the case was that they went outside of what was necessary and proper outside of the scope of their job. Then Attorney General Mark Herring agreed with me. Um, so me and our then attorney, Virginia Attorney General, we appealed this up to the Fourth Circuit. We felt very good about this appeal. Mm. Uh, we thought we thought we were on strong legal ground, and the briefs were written. We were ready to go, and out of nowhere, the change of the guard at the attorney general's office, Jason Miars came in, and quite frankly, um, without really talking to my office, even though we tried multiple times, without really having what I would think would be fulsome conversations with the family, on a Friday afternoon, pulled the appeal, and, and quite shockingly, pulled the appeal because. He was of the view, and he said this, that the officers, the ones who shot Pijan Gazar 10 times, that they were the victims and that they were being persecuted. And because the Virginia attorney general pulled that appeal, the Virginia case is basically dead. Mm-hmm. We tried and we pushed. We wanted to get it back to federal DOJ. They're not going forward with it either. So right now, uh, because of Jason Mihars' decision, um, there's going to be no criminal consequences for these two federal officers. It just is something that, I mean, we've, we've covered it for so long. It felt like it was, it had all this momentum and then even just to see how it would play out. Right. And then it just went away on a Friday. I mean, I, I wanted to get your take on that. If, did it just feel like, wait, what? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you want to, you want to talk about having the rug pulled out from, from under you. Um, this is a case that we have been working for two years. Um, not that that's the, the most important part of it, but just to give an idea of how um, much work went into yeah. this. Um, we didn't rush into anything. We felt very comfortable and confident about where we were going. We had worked with the attorney general, the Virginia AG from the beginning because we knew that it was very likely it was going to end up in appeals court. Mm -hmm. So we were ready. The community saw this for what it was. The grand jury saw this for what it was. And, you know, quite frankly, for political reasons in my mind, Mm -hmm. the Virginia attorney general, Jason Miars, didn't see this case for what it was. Um, I think it's political in the sense of, how he didn't communicate with us. I think it's political in the sense of um, what his statement was um, when he did this action, when he did it Friday at 5.30, my goodness, um, and just how he talks about police accountability. Um, 
quite frankly, the lack of police accountability mm -hmm. in the way that he thinks the criminal justice system should work. In my mind, this was a political decision. Mm. It was sort of interesting to me, too, because this is one of the very few recent cases where you know, D.C., there's so many jurisdictions that overlap when it comes to law enforcement, right? I mean, if something happens on the National Mall, like we know from, from January 6th, right. D.C. police had to be invited onto the grounds to help out. I mean, there's there's all of these these unwritten rules and lines. Well, actually, they're written rules and lines. And, <laughs> and the fact that it started on the GW Parkway, because that was U.S. Park Police jurisdiction, mm -hmm. Fairfax assisted— and actually, that ended up being a huge part of the case because they released the uh, the dash cam video mm -hmm. of this thing. But I don't know. It just it just was it's such a huge case in our area. And then it just like went away. Yeah, it it's, just it's really amazing. It's I don't know. crazy. And, and I'll tell you this. You want to talk about what the Trump DOJ did with this case. Um, they tried to keep us from investigating it. They wouldn't let the FBI agents talk to us. Um, they, I thought it was an FBI case. Like the FBI was taking so long with it because they had five years. They were, uh, they were. Look, I don't know what the um, the internal discussions right. at Trump DOJ and FBI were, um, but when we got the case, I reached out a number of times to the to Trump's DOJ to see if we can get help from the FBI. We could talk to their agents. They blocked us from them. They tried to uh, essentially muscle us out of going forward with this case. If it wasn't for that Fairfax County police dash cam, which is what we built most of our investigation off of, um, it would have died in the federal government because we wouldn't have had anything to go for, mm -hmm. go, go with, and they would have been able to keep everything from us. Just so you know, we reached out to Attorney General Jason Miaris to respond to the comments Steve Descano just made. Miaris's office referred us to his previously released statements on both the Bijan Gazar case and the overturning of Roe v. Wade. We've also invited Miaris on the show to respond at another time. And after the break, we continue our conversation with Commonwealth's attorney Steve Descano on why he thinks Virginia's libel laws need re-examining after the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Backed by the experience of its hardworking members, Steamfitters Local 602 is ready to take on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project. Steamfitters Local 602 adds value to our community through its partnerships with local contractors and building owners, all while keeping the focus on improving the lives of its members and their families throughout the DMV. For work that's on time and on budget, go to steamfitters-602.org to schedule your next project. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602 changing lives. Thanks for listening to the DMV Download. If you like the podcast, head to our show page, give us a rating and leave a review. We read all of them and use the suggestions to improve the show that we're so proud of. It also helps other listeners find this, our region's only local daily news podcast. Thanks for making us a part of your day. Back now to our conversation with Fairfax County Commonwealth's attorney, Steve Descano. Pivoting now to a case that's probably the most popular case in Fairfax County, the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard case. Now, this happened and played out in Fairfax County. And when we covered the trial, we learned that because of how Virginia's libel law is written, it makes it ideal for a person of note or someone who's very popular or famous, rather, to mount a defamation case against someone. Do you think the laws need to change in Virginia? 
You know, it is that defamation law that makes me want to be very careful how I talk about that. <laughs> very fair. I'm, I'm kidding. You know, it is. Well, let me just say this about the uh, the the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case, because um, it did happen in, in the courthouse in which my office is that we operate every day. I knew that I was going to deal with a lot of wild stuff as Commonwealth's attorney. <laughs> I never expected that I was going to look outside my window and I was going to see a boat. I was going to see people dressed up like uh, like pirates. And the alpacas <laughs> come into the courthouse because that, that happened every single day. Oh wow. Yeah, it was. The fan base outside was unreal. You would think it would be the first couple of days, but they stayed the whole trial. There was it some was, commitment there. Yes. Yeah. There, so it made your job more interesting, I'm sure. It very much did. And I, and I can tell you I was not watching it on TV, but I knew instantly when the verdict came in and what the verdict was because there were so many people outside that I heard a giant cheer <laughs> come up from outside the courthouse that I was able to hear even in my office. Um, in in the in the corner suite. Wow. Um, but you know, to to your question about uh, the libel laws, obviously this is not my uh, my area of expertise. But typically, as a as an attorney, um, when you see that there's a law that's such an outlier mm-hmm. um, from other jurisdictions, other states, um, that people are coming from around the country to try to utilize that particular law, that is usually a good. Um, Almost like a light bulb going off. Where a red maybe, flag? A red flag. Yeah, a red flag. There you go. That's a better <laughs> way of saying it. Uh, there's a red flag that goes up that maybe uh, that law should get taken a look at. Mm. Yeah, because it kind of, I mean, I think the lawyer we spoke with said, that, well, this makes it very friendly for celebrities to continue to come to Virginia. Um, and we continue to have sort of a show in the middle of, you know, the courthouse when there's actually people, not that we don't want a little, you know, attention every once in a while, but mm-hmm. there's people who are trying to like, conduct business there. And I just thought it was an interesting well, it it is interesting, and 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 you know it's funny you say people uh, have serious work to do. Um, every time I showed up to the courthouse and went into the little parking lot where Amber Heard and uh, Johnny Depp were staged, every time I rolled down my window, my, the, all the fans were very disappointed that it was just me. <laughs> I, I, and quite frankly, I was almost disappointed to see them. I'm like, I have to go to work. Um, it was just mutual. letting people down. Just let, I'm constantly letting people down. Oh my gosh. Um, but I but I got to say, it's interesting to hear. Uh, News reporters such as yourself say, hey, we don't want all these celebrities coming through our local jurisdiction. I mean, I'm sure it's great for ratings. (laughs) I'm sure it's great for – I mean, it was like – what was it? It was like the number one thing on Twitter. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was far and away one of the most popular things. Social media was a whole machine of itself. Yeah. Billions of views um, on – yeah, on this case. People couldn't look away from it. (laughs) Um, Okay, shifting now to – to a much more serious topic. This has been one of the deadliest few years in our region when it comes to violence. In 2020, before the pandemic began, you announced a stance that you've made public for more than a decade, that you did not plan to prosecute lower-level drug offenses like marijuana possession. Um, Given that drugs and guns tend to travel together, do you think that's part of the answer to saving off violence among young adults? Should other jurisdictions take that on as well? Yeah, I, it's it's a great question, and I'm really glad to be able to talk about it here where we can talk a little bit about it expansively. Um, you know, when I made my marijuana um, declination policy, um, that was about simple possession, uh, simple possession for personal use. Mm-hmm. That wasn't about distribution. That wasn't about um, guns and drugs. Those are serious crimes. When you have distribution, distribution is followed by violence. So we treat that very seriously. Um, we do prosecute those cases. We prosecute them extremely harshly. Mm-hmm. The reason that we want to treat the simple possession cases differently is because, like for many low-level nonviolent crimes, if we can help an individual before they've committed violence, before they, they've, they've done anything that would really put them on a, on a bad path and be a danger to our community, if we can actually help them get at the root causes, 
get them and keep them from recidivism and climbing the ladder towards more violent crime, mm-hmm. um, that actually helps with keeping communities safe. It's not about being nice. It's not about being cool. It is actually proven uh, time after time that if we can get in, intervene on the front end when things are minor, we can stave off crime in the back end. Hmm. So I really do think when done correctly, it can, it can help stave off violence. And when I say done correctly, it means doing that nu- taking that nuanced approach where we treat simple possession in one way, but uh, distribution, uh, possession with, with weapons, anything else, we treat it as the crime that it is mm. and, and treat it very seriously. Mm. And we interviewed Fairfax Chief Kevin Davis a while back, and he mentioned how scary and prevalent carjackings are mm-hmm. in the county, but also he mentioned how difficult they are to prosecute. What about carjackings make it kind of difficult to prosecute and, and move through the justice system? Well, you know, first of all, um, Chief Davis uh, is absolutely right. They are scary, scary crimes because what happens in many of these cases, it is a young person. Carjacking is necessarily an adrenaline pumping crime. It has to happen with force, with uh, speed. Um, and that can lead to, you know, people people pulling the trigger almost accidentally. Mm-hmm. Um now, those cases are some of the most serious cases that we have. As a matter of fact, we've worked pretty closely with Kevin and his team in terms of prioritizing them. But what makes them difficult to prosecute is they happen so quickly. Um, there needs the, We always run into the issue of identity. Um, you're typically carjacking a car that has one occupant. Um, that occupant is the one who was in fear for their life. Mm-hmm. So they necessarily, in many of these cases, they may need to identify this person who may have been wearing a mask. Um, so when we don't have other indicia of the crime, meaning a video, arresting the person in the car that was stolen, those sorts of things, they become very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is something that we are, as prosecutor's office, putting a lot of attention to um, and treating very seriously because these are the types of crimes that they're violent crimes themselves but really portend much more violence um, from the individuals who committed them. I have to tell you, I saw a carjacking right in front of me. I was in Georgetown, and mm. I'm bringing this around, but I was in Georgetown. I was crossing the street. On, it was on M Street. Right. So like, there's, there's a million people down there. Yeah, yeah, stores, everything. I'm crossing everything. the street, and this woman got out of her car to, to help a friend cross. I mean, I don't know, get in, get in her car or something. And as soon as she got out of her car, these two teenagers got in her car, and we were in the crosswalk, and they just plow through the crosswalk. Mm-hmm. So you don't even think about, I mean, just to your point, to how quick it can be. Right. But also, it doesn't necessarily mean the victim is the person who's being carjacked. Mm-hmm. I mean, very easily, people could have gotten run over. And yeah. it was one of those moments like, how did I not even know that was happening? Because it was happening right in right. front of me. Mm. But there were just so many people, and it kind of, you know, to your point of, like, not being able to identify, I would right. never be able to identify those two. It's blended in. It just, I mean, it just, it was like, yeah. a, you know, two seconds. Wow. It was unbelievable. So it does give you, when you're, like, in it, you kind of get it, too, like, oh, wow, I can see how they would have no idea who, who that was, even though it was such a heightened moment, mm. you know? And, of course, you know, that's, it's, it's a really great point. Um, even when you're surrounded by a bunch of people. Yeah. It happens so quickly. And, unfortunately, what we see, or what we think we see in a lot of these cases is, they're taking the car for joyriding, right? So they'll get rid of the car in an hour. Yeah, you know, so that you're not you're not getting arrest with them driving in the car. What you're seeing is, hey, I got I got carjacked. Oh yeah, we found your car like five miles away. Right. So it it, it is, um, it is very difficult to prosecute because it's difficult 
to catch the person who did it on the front end. We can only prosecute who when when arrests are made. Yeah. And you know, I know that with the by the nature of these crimes, it's a real struggle for police to to find who did it. And then if they do find who did it, us finding witnesses who can actually testify and identify a person. Mm. And throughout this conversation, we've been talking about, you know, the justice system. Um, and there is a notable mountain of backlog of cases that have been building ever since the pandemic started and, you know, got in the way of judicial uh, actions and works. So where is Fairfax County kind of in this backlog? Are you guys close to kind of getting that mountain down to a, a mound or, you know, <laughs> where are you all in that process? You know, I wish I had uh, I wish I could just definitively say yes. Um, the backlog, as you note, is years of work that didn't get done um, because we weren't able to have any trials. The The courthouse w- was shut down for trial work for a good period of time. I would say that we will probably get done with the backlog of cases somewhere in the next 8 to 12 months. Um, I wish we were, we were done with it, um, but the fact of the matter is, is... We're still scheduling trials out now. If you can, if you commit a crime today, you're going to get a trial date mid to late 2023 mm. uh, because we wow. still have 20 and 21 uh, year cases that, that are mm. going to get done in the next eight to 12 months. So they're basically being triaged essentially because you don't want people waiting in jail or uh, victims waiting for justice that, you know, have been waiting two, three years now. Exactly. And, and you know, it is we, we did um, make a focus that we were putting our most serious crimes. We were scheduling them early. Yeah. Uh, with a particular focus on cases in juvenile domestic relations court. So really we're talking about child victims of some of the most heinous crimes. That's where where, where, where that's happening. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. We don't want we don't want cases to get old. We don't want them to disappear. Quite frankly, one of the big things that I did when I took office was I noticed that under the old system, the way things were run, cases were disposed of, quote unquote, because victims got tired of waiting. Oh, wow. And witnesses would stop showing up because mm. under the old system, what would happen is cases would pass from prosecutor to prosecutor. If it was a hard case, they would just continue it out, and eventually the witness would get tired. We, I changed the entire structure of our office. We have a team pro- approach now uh, where people are specialized and that you're not passing off cases so that we are getting victims' um, services quicker. We're mm-hmm. getting to their qu- cases quicker. Um, because the last thing that we want is a victim to feel that the justice system failed them simply because their case never got heard. Mm. What do you think is the biggest case on your horizon right now? Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, the biggest case on on our, on the horizon right now, that is a, a tough question to answer. You know, there have been there have been some notable cases Um the homicide of the two army doctors mm-hmm. um, is, is a big case for us. That's a case that we're putting a lot of resources uh, onto because it's particularly heinous, uh, particularly shocks the conscience of the community. But I'll say that another big case for us, even though um, nobody was hurt, is the Tyson shooting um, at the mall from last week. I, look, I need to be clear. I shouldn't have to say this, but I'll be clear and say it. You cannot come into Fairfax County and shoot a place up and think you're going to get away with it. Or I think you're going to get, get away with it with a slap on the wrist. Um, as soon as that shooting happened, me and my team were on the phone with, with police. We were, we were looking at charges. Um, thank God nobody was hurt. Mm-hmm. But the people who did that, in my view, are dangerous people. We're going to deal with that seriously. And I want the community to know that anytime that happens, which I hope never happens again, um, 
we're we're going to get out there and we're going to we're going to let the community know how serious we take it, um, and we're going to do the same thing at trial. So, I hope that uh, anybody thinking about carrying around a gun in a in a public place in Fairfax County thinks twice um, and maybe goes somewhere else or leaves their gun at home. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm wondering. Was it, I know you're probably limited in what you mm-hmm. can say. Um, do we know the motive in that, or it was gang related, or anything like that? You know, unfortunately, uh, I am limited okay. as, as to what I can say, and um, I I appreciate you being cool, being cool about it, Megan. But uh, <laughs> it, there, we we do we do have some limits, but um, I know this case is front and center on a lot of people's mind, and as we go through the prosecutorial process, we will constantly be updating the community. Um, because it's that important to them, yeah. and it's that important to, to me and my office. Yeah, you want to feel safe when you go anywhere. But. Yeah, of course. And look, we are still the safest jurisdiction of our size in this country. Um, you know, we have 1.2 million people in Fairfax County. Um, our crime rate is astonishingly low, um, especially we, given the last two years when almost every big city, big jurisdiction saw their mm. their violent crime go up. Right, and, and and I'm proud of that, and I can't sit here and, and take credit for it. Crime. Is, is multifaceted, um, but we're really proud of that record. We intend to keep it, and quite frankly, um, it's a shame to me that, you know, I'm gonna take one more dig at my, my friend down in the Attorney General's office, that uh, politicians, particularly our Attorney General, are trying to gin people up around fear of crime, trying to scare them, trying to sell them a bill of goods about something that just doesn't happen um, to get a few extra votes and try to swing elections. It's despicable, um, but unfortunately that is how some people who are wrong on the issues uh, think they can get their vote margins. And that's pr- particularly goes for our attorney general. So, Steve, what is the biggest challenge when it comes to the justice system in Fairfax County going forward? Look, we have a, a justice system, not only in Fairfax County, but around the country, but, but even in Fairfax, that needs reform. It got stuck in the old way of doing business. Um, you know, you think about a prosecutor's office. Before me, there were two prosecutors for 50 some years. Um, they had been in the office for decades and nothing had really changed. Um, and that's bad for our community. Um, but we're moving, we're making tremendous progress. But the fact, the biggest hurdle to that progress is that it's hard to explain Mm. where it is very easy to scare people away from it. It's very easy to, to take a look at a tragedy and, and weaponize a victim's pain for political gain. It's very difficult to get the same level of eyeballs on here are a hundred people who have a father in their, in their life. And that father is working a job, starting a business, doing great things and not committing crimes. Mm-hmm. That's hard to explain a study that, that is, uh, that's 10 years of data. It's hard to explain. Right. Dry. It's, it's but, dry. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, look, I, I, I think I'm charismatic, but I'm not that charismatic. <laughs> I don't know if anybody is, um, but it's really easy to scare people. Um, it is really easy to lie to them. Um, and I think that's the biggest challenge that there are people entrenched in the system, whether through their own political for their own political gain, like our AG or people who um, things are working out quite fre- fine for them mm-hmm. who are going to stand in this way and keep selling that other narrative. Um, I think we're going to get there in Fairfax. The people of, of the community really like what we're doing. They want to see equality, justice. They know that keeps them safe. Um, but I think the biggest hurdle is misinformation. Commonwealth's attorney for Fairfax County, Steve Viscano, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, talking to us about criminal justice system. Hey, I thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoy the show, and uh, hopefully we get a chance to have this conversation again. And before we go, I just want to say to every woman out there or every maybe um, person with low blood pressure who's freezing <laughs> in their office. It's cold. I, 
I am there with you. Today I am wearing, so I, I came in and just like, it's beautiful outside, by the way. Gorgeous. Gorge. Came inside with, you know, a little sundress on. Now I have a fleece on. <laughs> I had a blanket I was wearing. I just like kept adding layers and it's so like like summer work problems. That's just, all I have to say. Just to paint the picture, yeah. Like Megan's in like a FBI field coat kind of deal, <laughs> like navy blue, you know. The cold, know. it's cold. It's very cold. And one of my coworkers was like, so tomorrow you're bringing a snowsuit? I was like, yeah, basically. <laughs> yep, I'm coming prepared. So if for some uh, reason it doesn't look like we're dressing for the weather, that's why. It's if tough. If you see our videos, it's there you go. It's tough to dial it in, yeah. With it being so lovely outside. Mm. <sighs> and that'll do it for us today on the DMV Download, sponsored by Steamfitters Local 602. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab, and our music is by Real World. Give us a review and rate our show if you get the chance, and follow us on social media where we're posting content every day from the show and from behind the scenes. You can find out more about this podcast and become one of our VIP listeners at dmvdownload.com. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in D.C., 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, online at wtop.com and on the WTOP News app. Have a great night.